0: Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. My friend Dave
1: Samuel is on the program today. He's launching his new fund uh, for Freestyle VC. Freestyle has invested in companies that you may have heard of, Airtable, Patreon, Intercom. And we're going to talk a little bit about how your fund size dictates your strategy
0: and giving feedback to founders, especially the no. And how do you say, no, we're going to
1: pass on your company. Dave had some great thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a good conversation. But First, it is Monday, and there is breaking news. The massive SEC disclosure this morning.
0: That uh, my pal
1: Elon bought 9.2% of Twitter
0: two weeks ago. Uh, you know. might have just, you know, he was shopping, shopping, and he just decided to pick up some milk and some Twitter. So, uh... We'll uh, we'll take a look and
1: discuss if he is going to become an activist shareholder or not. I'm just laughing because the or not seems so unlikely. So we're (laughs) going to break all of that down. It's going to be a great show. So stick with
0: us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Masterworks is the first company allowing investors exposure into the blue chip artwork asset class. Twist listeners can skip the 30,000 person waitlist by going to masterworks.io and using promo code TWIST. OurCrowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join OurCrowd for free at ourcrowd.com/twist and iTrust Capital. Did you know that you can invest in crypto through your retirement account and still get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA? visit itrust.capital/twist to start investing today.
1: To that news, SEC regulatory filings this morning, Monday as we're recording this have revealed that Elon Musk has taken a 9.2% stake in Twitter. The stock mm. is up 28% today. I think that it was determined that that 9.2% stake was worth close to 3 billion dollars. Was that right? Yeah, it's about right. 40 the yeah. company is trading at 2. 40 billion today. That's after
0: it went up about twenty-eight percent or so. So, if you take a third off, it was probably trading at around thirty, and
1: that's when he bought his nine point two percent, which would be two point seven billion or something in that range. All right, back of the envelope math. Boom. I just <laughs> that was a test. I was just testing Jason, and he passed. So Musk evidently purchased the shares on March March fourteenth, becoming Twitter's largest individual shareholder. What we now know as a result, result of this disclosure is that recently, when he was tweeting does Twitter need to be better? Is it adhering to free speech principles? Do we need to start a competitor? He had already evidently purchased these shares.
0: Yeah. Uh, So floating a trial balloon, seeing what people thought and uh, making the savvy purchase. I think it's a savvy purchase. uh, Because Twitter has gone sideways, in terms of as a stock, and most would argue as a company in terms of growth. The only real growth they had over the past five, six years, I think, was the Trump bump, you know, like every other media or social network. uh, They got a huge bump when Trump, you know, became president, uh, for better or worse, in my mind, worse, (laughs) much worse. Uh, So maybe a savvy purchase because I would say, arguably, there's few people who are as good at Twitter as Elon, obviously, through having 70 uh, million members. I think he gets it and... You know, not to make myself anything about the story, but I was literally there when we convinced Elon to open his Twitter
1: account. Myself and <laughs> Bill Lee were encouraging him. Really? So this is all your fault.
0: I don't want to. I don't want to again make <laughs> myself part of the <laughs> uh, story. But I Elon, mean, I'm just saying. No, Elon if said, if about you a- drop
1: a bomb like that. Elon, <laughs> we're going to hold Elon, you responsible. Elon
0: said it on another podcast. He was either on Joe Rogan or something, and he was like, "Yeah, Bill," or maybe it was when he did like Friedman. He said, "Oh yeah, Bill Lee and Jake How, you know, were like encouraging me to do it because uh, he thought it was kind of silly. Uh, but you know, he's got a silly sense of humor, and he, he's done really. He he really understands the medium and who better to run it than a power user who is great at entrepreneurship? This is going to make more people want to work at Twitter. More people are going to obviously want to own the stock if Elon's doing it, and." If you look at product velocity, I'm just looking at it like unemotionally, just if Benioff, because Mark Benioff, your member, wanted to buy it as part of Salesforce, he wound up buying mm-hmm. Slack. So if, you know, Bill Gates or Microsoft, or who, who's a good buyer for a company? Well, somebody who uses the product and who understands the product is a good person to buy the company because they're going to wake up every day and say, hey, these are the things that
1: I think should be better about the product, right? What and is it that you think that Elon Musk wants as a result of this stake? That's going to make Twitter better. Yeah,
0: I I don't know. I uh, haven't talked to him about it to be totally honest. Right. Uh, but he, but, I mean, based on what he for, said, you know-
1: he said free speech
0: and that it's the de facto town square. So you know, having more free speech on the platform, I think.
1: What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Um, right. You know, it's, I mean, it's I'm a just saying, like, from a purely, I don't know that this is unemotional. If, if it is unemotional, I think it's unemotional on the back end. Right. That there's savviness that is not the same as what's being said on Twitter, which is like, I want this to be more free speech, which I always put quotes, Mark quote marks around because that's not what free speech is like. Right. From a First Amendment perspective, what, well, it's what a do you company, think? Right. We've had this discussion. Right. A so zillion what is times. the it's end a goal? As a, yeah. I mean, he's he has successfully made a bunch of money by announcing or having the SEC announce that he is right. So if it's just a pump. And a profit-taking, no, than boom, I mean, there's it's that.
0: Better, better to focus on Tesla to if you want to make money or SpaceX, right? Those are huge. Sure. Those are much better Absolutely. opportunities than a social so network. So then what uh, is the business opportunity here? I think he loves the product. I honestly think that that's what it is. He loves the product and cares about it and thinks it's important in terms of the world and, you know, as the big communication town square. I mean, it, and that's what he said, right? It's important. Uh, and I guess, the, you know, the instances of free speech that are... Not being allowed on the platform would be the question, and I don't know what those are. I think probably the free speech around COVID comes to mind. Like you weren't allowed to talk about the masks or masks not working
1: or certain topics. I think that's true. I think you weren't allowed to disseminate disinformation about them at scale. Well,
0: and then you weren't allowed to disseminate disinformation, and then but the WHO disseminated some amount of you know disinformation, as Fauci said. Listen, I'm not Hmm. like I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But he this said, like, go buy the masks, you know, and so I think that well, a lot of people feel like an open discussion rather than the WHO being the, and I'm not saying this is my position necessarily, right. but I think there is definitely an important discussion to have around who gets to pick what discussions happen on YouTube or Twitter. And I guess people said during the co- during COVID, we'll let the WHO decide, right? Like, that'll, they'll be the benchmark. And like, do we trust the WHO? I don't know. Who are they funded
1: by? You know, are they I mean, giving I, have the best advice? I have some of those questions. I probably yeah. disagree with others. I guess my fundamental question is, um, d- is it OK that Elon Musk maybe just has the money to decide for us? Well, I mean, it's but one of like, is that the, what's next? Because because, again, none of this is about free speech, or like as or First Amendment. Right. Or Zuckerberg, exactly. right? Like,
0: so Zuckerberg also gets to make these decisions. And
1: so I what's think- free about that? From a, you know, I mean, again, none of this is the First Amendment, to be clear, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, well, oh, so I, I, the line we of free speech, should be asking everybody questions about this. Always, everybody
0: should be asking who controls this stuff before Elon bought 9% of Twitter. And, you know, Zuckerberg has, you know, the much bigger footprint by a factor of what, 10? I think, you know, that that's the real, if you want to look at who has control over the social media, square Facebook and that group is 10 times bigger, I think, nine times bigger than Twitter. So. You know this is an issue that's already existed and for private companies they get whoever's running the company and here at nine percent ownership you don't actually run the company so who gets to decide where the free speech line is i guess is ultimately the ceo of the company and the board and with facebook they have board control so mark zuckerberg unilaterally has control in this case mm-hmm. i would say at nine percent you have influence and maybe you'll have one of 12 board seats i don't know how many board seats twitter has right now but
1: that there is a really interesting sort of business uh aspect to this which is that i mean there are lots of interesting business aspects to it but one of them is that twitter does not have board control in the same way and that's been that's why they had to you know make those changes with jack dorsey because of the activist investors on the board like they're very they're almost like a dow in the sense that they're very vulnerable to a takeover by a major shareholder, they don't have super like uh, you know the CEO doesn't have like Jack doesn't have super voting majority
0: probably better said would be they don't have the super majority, so you don't have a god king queen over here making all the decisions right uh, but it's also not a takeover candidate where you can do a hostile takeover because it's got proper governance so it, I guess the the real I, the assessment I would make is they have proper governance at Twitter. Where no one board member can have too much influence, and I think the influence that the activist investors owned, like probably over ten percent as a group, and they just said we want a full time CEO, uh, but that took six years, probably. So, maybe you know, did they then good. did
1: they then sell? Because now, according to Bloomberg, at least, Elon Musk is the single largest shareholder, but maybe yeah. that is not not counting like a group of uh, activist investors. Elliott Management owned four to five percent. right Right. and and then they they also had yeah but they had also gotten other
0: one or two percent holders to join their voting block which is you know how proper governance works actually at Mm -hmm. its best is you get groups of people saying hey this thing is underperforming we'll take a four percent stake and then try to convince the one to four percent stakeholders to join our vision of what the company should be and how it should be run like maybe this thing should have a full-time ceo which i think was their their position and they they eventually won that but again it took five six years and jack They actually didn't vote Jack out. He resigned, so they kind of forced his hand, and I think made it uncomfortable for him. So that just shows how proper governance works. Like the United States governance, it takes time and it's messy. Largest shareholder is an interesting headline. Minor shareholder is the reality here. Like very minor shareholder Mm -hmm. with no super voting. Like you have nine percent of the votes. Like yeah, it's not like Elon can come in and say like give us an edit button. (laughs) I think he can be like maybe I'll buy more. Like, maybe I guess that could be the, you know, the future of it. So who knows? The stock market is a little crazy right now. Some think the IPO window is closing, while others think it's a great time to invest. Opinions are all over the place. Well, now you can diversify with an asset that is historically uncorrelated with the stock market. Of course, I'm talking about blue chip art. I know what you're saying, Jake, how am I supposed to buy a multi-million dollar painting if I'm not rich? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Masterworks. This is a brilliant company. I I know the founder. I tried to invest in it. (laughs) Well, Masterworks is an investment platform that securitizes multi-million dollar paintings and then sells them to any investor and you can buy shares in the painting. So according to Masterworks research over the last 25 years, returns from contemporary art have outpaced the S&P by 164%. When I wanted to add a Basquiat to my portfolio, did I go buy one at an auction? Of course not. I don't know what I'm doing. I just bought some shares in Masterworks, and it's a true story. I own a piece of a Basquiat, and I've always loved that artist's work, and now I have my own little piece. So it's kind of fun, and I think it's going to be a great investment. So if you want to join more than 360,000 active members, you can get priority access and skip the waitlist at masterworks.io slash twist. That's right. Cut the line at masterworks.io slash twist today. And make sure you read all the important reg a disclosures at masterworks.io slash uh, c d. But I, I, I do think it's great that somebody cares enough, independent of me being friends with E. I think it's great that you know, an influential person cares so much about a product or a platform to invest in it, right? Like I'd like to see other people do this. Like what if Bill Gates
1: really liked something and he i really bo- would not like to see other people <laughs> do this no because it, the number of people who can do this is vanishingly small so like if you i mm. mean you're assuming that he's doing this because he loves it i mean that is like maybe in all that likelihood is the reason he, he true, does love it. right yeah. i don't yeah. know but what if he doesn't love it what if it's like a peter Thiel move here like um, i'm just gonna come because what, at nine percent what, what is the peter teal move like a gawker move I don't don't like how this product has treated me. I don't like how it's treated my friends. I'm not happy with, you know, what I perceive to be censorship of these opinions and feelings and thoughts and whatever. So I'm going to come in here with 9.2% and I may not be able to demand an edit button, but I can certainly commit a lot of sabotage. Yeah, no, I don't think that's what
0: I don't think people would put $3 billion on the line to sabotage something. I think it's more enthusiasm for the product and thinking it's an important thing. So. I mean, the, the devil's in the details. We'll see what happens over we, the coming we'll, years. We won't know until we're, we're we know. We're mind reading exactly. now. I mean, right. I think, you know, the Peter Thiel story was one of like being outed in vengeance uh, for being outed and, you know, having... And, shut- and then shutting down free speech as a
1: result. So, well, yeah, Dusty Green puts it the right way, we- I think, in the chat, which is, is this a hostile takeover or a liberation? <laughs> and I guess we will not know until we know.
0: I mean, it's, uh, Twitter is sideways. Uh, and so, having Elon involved, I think, you know... it. If he does stay, if he, if he does stay involved and engage, I think it would Is make it the sideways? product. It's been sideways in terms of like, pro, I mean, they, they have increased the product velocity, but as a company, they haven't grown. It's been very modest growth when compared to yes. contemporaries. They've always trailed all other internet companies. I think they're trading still at a fraction of their peak valuation. I think they probably hit 50, 60, 70 billion at some point. I'm trying to remember what the peak was. So just as a business. It's been a slow growth. I mean, it hasn't declined, which is good, mm-hmm. um, but it certainly hasn't grown or they haven't solved like the anonymous problem and the bots problem. So I think there's like a lot of simple problems they haven't been able to get their hands around. Like, why can't they handle bots and these
1: anonymous accounts and harassment? They should be able to do better on that, I think. Because every time they try to handle it, someone says they're suppressing free speech. I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, I think... The I bots, mean, there are the a bots lot of issues easy. with Twitter...
1: I yeah. think we have seen more product velocity since Jack Dorsey left. Like it's possible that it could have been the split focus CEO all this time. We don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, mean yeah. I think it's, I think all of those things are true. It's a little strong to say that it's sideways as a business. Uh, when we have seen spaces, we have seen Twitter blue, like there has been innovation. Yeah. The last year, yeah, the last the last year, year has been, been. Yeah. The last year has been great. They have seems like the, the least only thing people are really mad about is like booting Trump. And I mean the ongoing, I mean, to be fair, anonymous harassment, the trolling, the bots, like it all really, it really is issues that are legitimate and drive people away from the platform, all kinds of people away from the platform. That's true. Content moderation is really hard. I think the bot issue is because
0: everybody who's been CEO is scared to block the bots because it would make growth look stunted. And so, you know, I think that's an that's something where a board member who is a patient board member who says yeah you know i know we're going to take a short-term hit because a bot's going away and it will look like growth is muted but it's not real growth anyway so let's just you know yeah uh pause here so yeah twitter's revenue uh, that was an interesting chart twitter's revenue has you know grown slowly um you know since you know in the shadow of facebook's um you know it, it it that may not look slow but if you were to put that growth uh next to facebook's it would be dwarfed uh, or yeah. google's and then you know if you had user growth up there um it's been slow and steady uh and then who knows what the bot problem is so um yeah. i don't think it has much yeah. to do with trump i mean i always felt i don't know how you feel about trump but like you know if he was going to i felt like trump as the president needed to be allowed to be on social media and then when he did January sixth, it was acute, and there was a chance that people could get hurt. So he kind of gave them the golden opportunity to take him off the platform. And then for what period of time, you know, like I think Facebook gave it to their board, their outside board, to make a ruling. And I think the mm-hmm. outside board kicked it back to them. So like, hold on, yeah, so many I, topics I,
1: I think are wrapped up I think, in this
0: one topic. I, I so think many. Trump's the worst human being on the planet. Like yeah. I've been very clear, yeah. like this person's a sociopath. He would give himself a third. You know, he, he would become the God King and he he literally tried January 6th to overturn an election. I believe all that is true. Sorry if you don't. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, there is a reasonable amount of time to give somebody a suspension on these things and then let them back on and then ban them again. I I, I think that's probably where I would have landed, like a two-year ban, a four-year ban, something like that. But then if he, was, if he did actually, if January 6th commission finds out he did incite the violence, then I think mm-hmm. you could make it permanent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's I mean the hardest these are, issue in
1: the world to', to the hardest issue in the world. Like it, yeah. it, unquestionably. Like, I agree with everything you said. it's still the hardest issue in the world because how do you ever decide that? And how do you and and do you want a private company to decide, ok, the danger's over now, right? Like, no, no, yeah. no, America's doing fine. These divisions aren't continuing. We're not seeing a massive increasing partisan divide. It's totally a good time to let Trump back on. Like those are not there are a lot of questions about whether those should be the call. Yeah, and people I'm are making a, a CEO of a private company to make a, a, that, You and know, people
0: are, people are making a big jump that this has something to do with Trump. I don't think it does at all. Uh, I don't think this is like buy this and put Trump back on. I don't think that mm, yeah, there's I some like direct yeah. line here. I think people are. Uh, I just think fundamentally,
1: some, like I don't like the idea that somebody can come in at, at, that that a small small group of people with a, an extreme point of view can come in and be like, I don't like how this business is running. Right? Like, I don't like the fact that the SEC has to review my tweets. I don't like the fact that I can't. That people can't just spread all the disinformation they want. So I'm going to buy a massive stake and and who knows what like a minor stake, a, yeah, a uh, massive stake on a relative level.
0: I mean, he's got a much bigger stake in the other companies. So I mean, in terms of public, in terms of influence, he's going to have minor
1: influence at this level. I think there it's is this, no universe in which Elon Musk has minor influence on anything.
0: Well, I mean, he does have a lot of fans. Like, so Seventy million, let's be bottles. fair. <laughs> but i'm just saying on a, on a governance basis mm-hmm. just the reality is nine percent does not mean you get to pick what happens right it means sure. It, sure. It, it means like if even if you wanted to remove the ceo and you would have to build a block and it would take years so it's i think people are probably overestimating exactly how much control i mean influence is different i do agree with that yeah
1: yeah um, i'm just talking about influence i mean thing about this whole free
0: speech issue i don't know how you feel about this as somebody I, we're both liberals i think i um, some people say I'm libertarian. I I try not to define myself. I try to be common sense, but I guess I'm somewhere between moderate and libertarian. Um, and you're definitely uh, uh, more liberal than I am, but only slightly. We used I'm to be the party of free- <laughs> You you registered independent. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah so I mean, anyway. Yes. But the two the, the, the I I'm trying to remember, but freedom of speech uh, was a liberal tenant, and the Republicans were the ones complaining about it all the time. Even- and <laughs> and then now it's like, wait a second now the liberals are the elites and they're anti-free speech and the republicans are pro-speech speech speech and they're the party of the working class like that really what is happening right it's it's what is happening to the parties that we they don't stand for what they were stood for just 10 years ago yeah like should everybody should be for freedom of speech and then there should be ramifications you know in these sections and these online platforms like I, I, you know, some people can run them as walled gardens and with real names, I, I chose real names for inside.com's new social mm-hmm. network, because mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't want to deal with spam. So I'll have less members, less content, but better signal. You have to use your real name, period. Yeah, you know, and it's like, will it work? I mean, it worked for LinkedIn and Facebook.
1: And there might yeah. there might be less engagement. I mean, you know, I think some of this is about growth hacking too, and cheap engagement, and it's not about free about speech at all, exactly. I don't know. It's just it's a mess. Hey, it's time for another
0: R crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R crowd's investment in Ciabra. According to the deal memo, Ciabra's AI powered SaaS platform analyzes billions of online conversations to help companies gain authentic consumer insights while fighting disinformation in real time. Siabra's customers include global media corporations, consumer brands, and high-level government agencies, according to their deal memo, and you can invest in Siabra at rcrowd.com twist today. All over the world, companies like Siabra are innovating and driving returns for investors, and rcrowd analyzes many of these companies and they select the ones with the greatest growth potential and they bring them to you. They invest from personalized medicine to cybersecurity to open source intelligence, which according to our crowd is a multi-billion dollar market. Our crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest and that's early. So here's your call to action. If you are an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at ourcrowd.com/twist and review all the current deals. That's ourcrowd.com/twist. To sign up for free and read the deal memos for free, and you'll get really smart by reading those deal memos. Trust me. It's like
1: we're well, we're now into a potentially hole. nine hour discussion, and we have hmm. a guest wait. We have a, okay, a wonderful I guess interview. Well, let's a guest do waiting in real life, and also a wonderful interview to get to uh, Dave Samuel, who just raised uh, one hundred and thirty million dollars for Freestyle Fund Six. Coming up next,
0: yeah, add an edit button, Elon. Can we get the edit also, button in Twitter blue? Like also, can an also button I get the pay. edit button?
1: <laughs> just show the previous version of the tweet. As long as you're
0: at it. Just give me an edit button.
1: <laughs> can I get an edit button? I'm paying for blue. Do you, this play thing?
0: Play? do you play for Twitter blue or no?
1: No, you the I keep me to sign up and then I never have time.
0: Yeah. There's no, there's no real compelling reason to do it other than right. to sort your buttons at the bottom. Like This is where mm, like, yeah. you know, like Elon's product brain is going to really help. Like He might actually have some product suggestions that <laughs> might actually
1: be good. You I know? mean, I'm endlessly curious. And curious like, to see how what's to see The simulation is still happening. It's the definitely a is simulation. Ongoing. It's still unfolding. Sim- <laughs> it's for
0: sure it's a simulation. All right, let's enjoy the Dave Samuel interview. Again, I don't like to talk about uh, my friends too much on the program, but I had no choice in this case. To It's going to be entertaining at the very least. <laughs> yes, you walk the it. line. Today on the program, Molly, we're having one of my older friends in the industry, uh, co-founder and general partner of Freestyle VC. Dave Samuel is with us again. It's his sixth appearance here on Twist. This includes an interview I did with him years ago, uh, and uh, he's helped me on four pitch sessions, giving great feedback to entrepreneurs. You can watch his first appearance, episode 768, back in 2017, and he's here today uh, on the um, announcement that Freestyle has closed their sixth fund. Welcome back to the program, Dave.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Jason. You guys are so, uh, so organized.
0: Dave, we're pretty organized. Uh, this is your sixth fund. Uh, things have gone great for freestyle. Everybody knows you were an entrepreneur and you sold your music startup to AOL back in the day. Chamath palihapitiya my bestie, worked for you. Uh, I think <laughs> yes. for a moment in time. How is so that? I, I just want I'm to start o- with that for a moment. Uh tell me your first the first time you remember meeting Chamath and hiring him for his job working for you in bd i believe yes it was BD. spinner it was still called spinner at the time right spinner and i don't know if you ch- guys
2: remember winamp and winamp oh, yes both. of course yeah, yes school so one of the first wow. mp3 players founded by justin a 19 year old kid hmm. uh, so Flashbacks. he was bd for both you know honestly my memory with chamath was actually at the felt playing poker with him and just you know i actually remember doing that more than necessarily business. And wait, wait, were you in Dallas or a- No, well, playing poker actually at my house in 2000, uh-huh. in the year 2000. And so that was really my first memory that I really have. Yes, we hired him, but I don't, you know, I don't exactly remember all the business things, but I do remember his aggressiveness at the table. And I think hmm, Jason, huh. you know that. Yeah, and, still very you know, aggressive. It was, he was super aggressive back when he didn't have a lot of money. And now- Or no
0: money. He has a he's lot of money okay. and he's yeah. still aggressive. <laughs> so, yeah, well, maybe there's some you know, correlation
1: there. I think so.
2: <laughs>
0: wow. So, Wynab. Yeah. Winamp yeah, is pretty interesting. I am sitting on that
1: one like, damn, it's been a long ride. It's been a long yeah. ride.
0: Um, I, you know, I think the thing that's notable is you've done extremely well for yourself and it would be very easy for you to retire uh, or maybe, you know, hand off the firm, but you're incredibly hands on. And uh, with Jenny, your partner, uh, you have chosen to raise the s- similar size fund as you've done previously and stick to your knitting. Talk to me about your intentionality of raising this specific size fund. I believe it was 130 million. Yeah. And why you think it's important to have a thesis on the amount of money you raise and the size of your fund.
2: Great question. Um, I first go with I think both you and I love startups. And so it's just, what what i love doing and so when you go back to 2010 when um we were raising fund one there was a lot of education about what is a seed fund they used to actually be called micro funds back in the day and our pitch deck actually had to educate lps about it because they were familiar with the 300 to 750 million dollars sandhill road funds and so we had a lot of education And now you jump forward to to fund six, we still like the ability to have large multiples on the smaller funds. And so also the benefit of having a smaller fund is we work with younger startups, which is Jason, that's what you do with launch. I mean, you work right at the beginning and that's, I think, you know, that's where I love to play. If it was all about money, I think, as you know, we would raise a much larger fund. We'd have much larger uh, management fees, et cetera. But Jenny and I love playing in the seed vertical. And I'll just say Mm -hmm. one other thing, which you mentioned about is every time you raise a fund, you're kind of, you know, signing up for a seven to 10 year run. And so Jenny and I each time kind of have like, you know, our wedding vows just saying, you know what? Okay, here we go. You know, we, we sit down and make sure we're ready to sign up for another seven years. And I love what I do.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because even the huge funds we're now seeing find more and more and more and more ways to go earlier. Like, do you feel like that thesis just gets validated over and over, not only because it's really fun, like you said, but also because it is sort of maybe where the money is? I do, you know, definitely we're seeing, um, you know, the large
2: funds raise seed funds. Uh, Honestly, my gut is that like their main focus is being able to back the truck up and put in tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. And so my gut is they don't really have the infrastructure or the experience to focus on seed. So in the last 12 years, I've focused on putting money in when it's a team of two to five, maybe two to 10 people. And that's where my experience has been for the last 12 years. And even as Jason said, we were both fortunate to sell our kind of our first companies to AOL. Yeah. And, uh, and then I actually started a company called Crackle that we sold to Sony. And so, you know, I think we like being um, entrepreneurs turned investors. And I think that brings a lot to the table.
0: Yeah. And it, the larger funds creating seed funds are pursuing a strategy. I think this is what I'm seeing in the market where they'll participate in a seed round. But they might not participate in the company uh, mentoring and the management of it. So sure, they've got this, you know, 100 million or $500 million fund for seed and they're putting in 500k or 1k checks. But then they're going to somebody like Dave or us and saying, hey, you guys join the board. We're not taking board seats, right? We don't we don't have the time to do this. It's an option where they can buy 3% 5% of the company. And then later on, try to put in 20 million and get to 10% ownership. So I think it's a little bit of that. And in in a way, that's not a bad thing, because a lot of times the rounds could use an incremental 500k or million dollar check, correct, Dave?
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, Jason, as you think about the Sequoia Scout Fund, I mean, this was Mm -hmm. going way back. It's like getting a foot in the door and getting the information early on. You know, I think it I believe that to be a a valid, um, you know, really valid decision.
0: Listen, pretty much everybody knows someone who has invested in crypto at this point, and lots of people have exposures to different tokens themselves. But did you know, you can now invest in crypto through your retirement account? That's right, with iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA. This means you get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital has over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies for you to invest in. And unlike the stock market, You can buy and sell 24 hours a day if you like. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use and it only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low. And you get a free account and it's only a 1% fee per crypto transaction. So visit itrust.capital slash twist to start investing today. That's itrust, I T R U S T dot capital slash twist. Yes, there's a dot capital, just like there's a dot com. itrust.capital slash twist. Disclosure, taxes and conditions may apply, fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital, Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. Tell me, you know, if you're looking at what happened over the last five years where valuations went crazy, governance went away, perhaps some discipline on the part of capital allocators and even maybe some discipline on the part of founders. Was uh, less emphasized. Where are we today? And what lessons do you have from this crazy five year bull? It was, let's face it, it was a bull run since 2008. So we're actually looking at a bull run that lasted 13 years and is now over for tech. So the bull run for tech lasted 13 years. That was an incredible run. But what lessons do you have for other capital allocators and that you've reminded yourself of? And then what do you have for the people on the other side of the table, the founders who maybe are now getting whipsawed? Hey, spend money as fast as you can. The next round, we'll raise it in six to twelve months, and every round it gets easier to raise at a higher valuation.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's. See. Well, first, I'll just talk about kind of the seed market. So, um, you know, ten years we called it seed, and then you know the seed, as you know, is kind of moved up to really the two to five million dollar raise, and now you have the notion of a pre-seed. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's just in my in my view, just kind of different words of. Kind of, you know, similar structures. And I think probably the biggest thing that we give advice to our portfolio companies is let's not get over our skis. And so as you talk about, there's a lot of late stage capital that is coming into the space. I think, you know, Tiger Global has been understandably like seemingly the fastest to put money to work. And it really is amazing the machine that they've put together. And I think that. You know, the thing that we suggest to our founders is let's just be thoughtful about the amount of capital that you're bringing in and what's the, you know, the the preference stack that you're adding to, uh you know, to the calculation and just be, you know, be careful about that. The other thing that I'll say, which is beneficial for the early stage investors and the founders is your ability to take money off the table. And this didn't exist. This did not exist 10 years ago. But I think you're probably familiar with Jason. Um, that founders many times, sometimes at the A, many times at the B or the C, are able to take some money off the table, and I think that's a very uh, great thing. The main you're talking about is- just
1: to just to clarify for our audience, you're talking about Sorry. their ability to sell some shares privately, realize some liquidity, and then keep rolling.
2: Yes, and the yep. benefit for everybody is that the entrepreneur is like, okay, I can buy a house. I've got like you know, I've got something steady and then you can go, you know, you can go for the the home run. And so also for seed funds, we're also able, because we've been in the company for a long time, we're able to take some money off the table. So I think that's, you know, a beneficial um, structure. I think, yes, last year was dizzying the the pace. A pitch would come in and if you didn't turn around within like 72 hours, it was like, you know, the deal was gone. And so, thankfully, come this last quarter, I think probably the biggest thing that Jenny and I have enjoyed is it's just kind of slowed down slightly. Actually, mm-hmm. it's probably slowed down, honestly, probably by maybe, f- yeah, I'll go with significantly.
0: <laughs> Two so weeks, four weeks, weeks nice to, nice to close around. around. Yeah, no, it's, a, it really, it's back it's, to a it's, month it's, to close around, yeah. yeah.
2: It's, it's super nice because it was at a fevered pitch and when you make, you, it's difficult to make decisions that quick because of timing so you know valuations have definitely crept up but the biggest challenge for the last year was like you hear the pitch and you've got to get back super fast and it's just difficult to do due diligence that fast
1: Hmm. are you worried about uh follow-on like are you worried about these seed companies and what they're going to mature into in terms of mid-state i mean it sort of feels like for one thing, it feels like there's a barbell in investing. It's either seed or like massive funds who just have to park a ton of capital. Maybe that's just in the climate space, because that's a conversation I've been having a lot lately. Um, but I wonder what you're starting to think about follow on, even if you yourself are being more responsible in, in how you're deploying at this early stage. I,
2: you know, I think one of the things that freestyle has been very good at is helping um, our founders go from the seed to the A. And so, you know, obviously, each stage is important but getting you know getting that seed to the a is understandably important for us um and important for the startup uh and so um my comments about that are just to talk about freestyle structure we do about a deal a month we're going to lead the lead or co-lead the seed and our focus is really during the first year life cycle of the company and then the important thing is basically of course finding the the series a investor we have the ability to continue to take pro rata and invest in that company but we call it the baton handoff so our ability to hand the baton to the next series a investor is an important uh you know is an important stage and so um we've actually i'll just talk about two deals um that kind of tie back with sar from crv i don't know if sar has been on here but if yeah, he's sure. not, you should you should have him. He has them. been so sure. Sorry, um, and so wait, who, who, who
1: is certain- he and what is CRV? I'm sorry, uh, Charles River Ventures, be- Boston-based firm yeah. that
0: now is based out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sar Gur is a VC who works there.
1: Gotcha. Who yeah. Okay.
0: had? Uh, yeah, I think he well, toiled of, away our- for a while, and then he hit I, he hit something. It just took him a little while. What was the big win for him? I forgot. No, it go come to me.
2: Well. Uh, Well, so our two, two of our biggest unrealized gains are Airtable and Patreon. And we, um, basically hand, you know, handed the baton, uh, you know, obviously at each of those companies, Jack is the CEO of Patreon and Howie is the CEO of Airtable. I mean, obviously they're the ones running it, but we were, um, you know, really helpful of handing that baton to the next stage investor. And in this case, you know, the entry into CRV was, uh, was SAR and we've just been really lucky with that. Uh,
0: Let's talk, I want to double click on the secondary options. One thing I'm seeing is maybe some firms using uh, an offer of secondary, or maybe even Mm -hmm. topping off the founders with extra shares as a way to win a deal. This to me seems like a bribe, and seems like a really bad idea. We are seeing it more and more. What are your thoughts on when a VC says, "You know what? I'm going to beat these other two VCs, and I'm not going to do it based on my ability to help the company. I'm going to just offer to give each of the founders five percent more of the cap table, you know, and it's going to happen before my money gets put in, so I don't get impacted by it, and they'll be able to take five million off the table each." Should these things be allowed to be combined, or should, for hygiene purposes, maybe they be done after the investment so that everybody who's investing is investing in a in a pretty uh, pure way. What are your thoughts on this?
2: You know, great question, Jason. I guess my advice to any entrepreneur raising capital is it really is about the person that is most likely joining your board. And I think, as as you know, as you guys interview folks to to join launch, the way I look at a deal is fifty percent of the success of a deal is the team. And 30% is the size of the market. It's got to be a big market, as, as you guys know. And then 20% is actually the product that they're showing today. And the reason why the team is so important is, as you know, like, you know, you start this way your bourbon, which was before Instagram. And then, you know, Kevin like, was like, we'll do Instagram. What was the one before Twitter? The podcast one?
0: Oh, Odeo. Um, yeah. You know, Odeo. Odeo, Odeo.
2: And then, you know, Twitter. And so, yeah. um, Sorry for the barking dog. It's okay. Um, But... uh, We all have them. And so, so basically, many times, and even I was talking to an entrepreneur last night, I'm like, Mike, I think that in this instance, I really want you to think about taking the lower valuation for the board member that's going to join. And so, that's my advice. Like, it's really like it comes down to the person joining the board. And so, yes, we have seen the tactic of somebody saying, hey, you know, we'll buy we'll buy some common from you. And as I said, like, I've actually seen it in the A, which was early. Um, But in this case, the person joining the board was chosen. And so I just go back to people, I think. And I, and I think that, you know, that's, as I said, when we're interviewing and hearing a pitch, it's really like, okay, who is the CEO who's going to lead this? Because you're going to start this way and then you know you're going to have to navigate and so that's how we you know that's how we think about it
1: don't panic at a pivot love it mm. yeah what do would you say that freestyle has a, a thesis i mean i'm looking at some of these big names from your portfolio and like you said there's airtable and patreon snapdocs intercom loop steezy like it feels like you are not solely saas you are in fact freestyling uh-huh. Yeah I bet. that you are you are correct. Um I would it's say right there sort of in the of, name.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's one of the benefits of being early. Um so when you you know you go back to 2010, you know, dating myself, uh there were really just like, you know, first round capital, baseline, you had, you know, tech which became uncork you had um Mike Maple's Floodgate. I mean, there were just a few seed funds at, you know, yeah, first round capital um and so, um, I think that we've been fortunate to be around for a while and that just the word generalist is not like a really nice term, but honestly, like we're going to hear different pitches. And the way that I like to think about it is, can I personally be excited about being like, you know, kind of a co-founder of this company? And so, you know, that's kind of how I think about it. So like, um, you know, Jason and I did quite a unique deal called steezy and that's a you know a learn to dance platform and i've got four girls that are like all teenagers now and they're TikToking, and you know and i'm like you know what i think that building a platform that's unique to online dance is kind of interesting and so um you know that's kind of how we think about it i guess one other kind of important thing as we look at statistics of us being around for a while is you know i've been in tech Dating myself since 95. That's when I launched Spinner. And so I, you know, I've just similar to Jason, have like a large network in tech. And 80% of our deal flow comes in from friends within the industry. So we've invested in 140 CEOs over the last 12 years. We get a lot of deal flow there. And then, of course, the venture capital firms and just a lot of people that I know. And so, you know, I think that's a great ecosystem to have a deal come in and this goes back to it's like a reference so somebody who's going to introduce me to the deal like they know that they're kind of kind of vouching for this company and so that's understandably like a leg up and i think as jason have probably mentioned many times to entrepreneurs it's like if you cannot come in the front door if you can come in the side door with like, hey, you should, you know, really listen to this. Understandably, that's just, you know, a super big leg up.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the warm introduction um, is everything in our industry. And I think that's why curating a relationship and building a relationship with your existing investors is so critical. If you're keeping your existing investors up to date, uh, and you're engaging them about the challenges of the business, it's going to be easier for me to say to you, hey, here's STEEZY. It's interesting. Or for you to say, Hey, take a look at this company, because we've built a level of trust with the founder. And we're going to introduce the founder to somebody who, you know, they're going to, I don't know, uh, just do a great job representing you as an investor. It's let's talk about the difficult part of the job saying no, how have you uh, and you got a big heart? uh, You know, I know that uh, from just knowing you personally for two decades, and, and you work really hard. How do you deal with the fact that most startups do in fact fail? And that as a seed fund you do not have the ability to fund everybody forever and you know when people do fail they the gut reaction is to go to their existing investors and saying hey we didn't get it done can can you give me another six months can you give me another 12 months i I need your help how do you deal with that very difficult um you know dynamic and, and part of the job
2: when i started this um well first of all i think as an entrepreneur in many instances, you're a yes person. I mean, you are, you know, getting out there, um, doing something new, and you. In many instances, I consider a yes person. And so, when I started venture, the way I actually started my fund was uh, Josh and I started it, and we basically decided to put a hundred k into twenty deals. And so, this was before, like we were investing as freestyle, but we only had our own capital. And um, we actually got this playbook from Saka. From um, uh, anyway, his case Sorry, Lower- sorry. His first fund, which was only six million, he um, took a Twitter and a few unrealized gains and actually put it into that fund. And so Josh and I did the same thing. So basically, we took our twenty deals, put it in, and, and on day one, our LPs already had a markup. But the reason mm-hmm. why I talk about before we started the fund is we wanted to see: do we feel like we're good at it? And the biggest one is that question that you just said, Jason, is how do we feel comfortable saying no? And mm-hmm. so, you know, yes, um, it was difficult making that change. And I think the main thing I do every time I say no is I talk a little bit about my own experience. So when I was raising capital for Spinner, I had 40 nos. And Spinner, as Jason said, was the first internet radio platform. And many of the VCs were like, why would I ever listen to music via the computer? Now, this was Mm -hmm. back when there was a 14.4 modem. (laughs) So, I mean, it was early, but you know, people didn't see it. And actually the first person to invest in me was very visionary. And that visionary happens to be Chris Anderson, the CEO of TED. And so he gave me 700, he gave me 750 K in 1997 and that actually turned into 20 million for him but anyway I just bring this up that I basically tell entrepreneurs guess what I had to knock on 40 doors to get the one yes and I know Jason talks about that within launch and so it's top of funnel and the only additional thing that I try to do is give feedback to the entrepreneur so some instances I just say you know what this is a gut reaction and it's just not a match for me in other instances I say you know what I'm concerned that this is a feature, not a product, Thus, not a mm-hmm. company. Maybe it's like, you know what, I'm concerned about the TAM. And so, you know, and so I basically I attempt when I say no, to give them feedback. And so well, that no, isn't you know, giving
0: feedback, though, the chance that you're going to hurt their feelings, and then they'll hold it against you for the next round. There's a lot of people whose philosophy in our businesses, sugarcoat everything, everybody's a unique snowflake in the world, everybody gets a participation trophy. And there's, no upside for you to tell them the truth hey i think you got a feature not a not a company here you need to get a a more fully featured product now the person's like well dave's being a jerk or dave hurt my feelings and then hey they break out they figure it out they pivot from Odeo to twitter or bourbon to instagram and now you're the guy who you know wasn't nice to them and they get revenge on you by not letting you in the next round some people do think like that yeah
2: I actually, I don't think it's not nice. Like I will, I will say that like one of the biggest things that most entrepreneurs appreciate is when I say no, I say it super fast. And mm-hmm. basically sometimes mm-hmm. I feel bad, but I basically do it on the 30 minute intro call. And mm-hmm. many times they are like, you know what, Dave, thank you for being quick with your decision. Cause in many instances and happened with me raising capital is you're like, you pitch And then you kind of wouldn't hear anything (laughs) and Mm -hmm. there was no closure. And I think, as you know, like, I don't like to use the word lemmings, but basically many VCs are lemmings So they are like, okay, I've heard the pitch. I'm kind of in line, but I'm not going to do anything until somebody else does something. Mm -hmm. And so I think the ability to make a decision fast, I think is, is something that many entrepreneurs like Dave, thank you being efficient with our time, your time. Thank you for the quick decision. So that's how I think about it. Fantastic.
1: I wonder right, we'll it, ahead, to how you're, so there's the saying no. And then there's also, I wonder how you approach an entrepreneur when you think that there's a good idea there. But for example, especially at our stage and right now the way the market's been, how do you tell somebody like, you're raising too much money right now? You know, this is too much money too soon. Your business isn't there yet. Like, do you feel like it's your job to sort of say, let's rethink this strategy so that we can get in? Or do you say, all right, this is enough red a flag, I'm moving on. I think for the, you know,
2: for the size of the raise, I mean, the way, the main way I like to think about it is I want to make sure we get 18 months of runway. And so, and so it's really just trying to figure out what is 18 months of runway. And so um, the way I kind of talk about a seed fund is I want to be able to confirm that we're able to create a small fire. We're able to create a small uh, flywheel that gets going, and demonstrating, you know, the product working, retention, and then really, how does marketing work? The main thing is basically having a small fire, and then you raise your Series A, and you're able to make that fire bigger. In many instances, understandably, from hiring um, more employees, but also getting marketing dollars to work. Uh, and so, you know, when a deal comes to us, I always say you know, what's your target raise. And even if somebody says they want to raise six, I'll still hear this, you know, hear the story. And basically, um, you know, in most instances say, hey, you know, I really like this, but I think you should raise less. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then basically say, you know, this is the pitch. And so, and this goes back to what I said earlier, like, It's not all about the money. It's really about the money and the help that you're getting. And so beating my own drum, I feel good about the help that I'm giving people. And so in many instances, I know that my capital is, uh, you know, we're coming in at a lower valuation than other firms.
0: Mm. Uh, Well, listen, Dave, continued success. What's the best way for a founder who wants to pitch you uh, other than, you know, finding an intermediary to get your attention, you know, in that cold email or this sliding into the DMS or replying to you on Twitter, what grabs your attention specifically and makes you want to double click, triple click, and then eventually, you know, hit the reply key.
2: So I would say really two things. Um, One is, uh, you know, I think it's beneficial. It's definitely beneficial that there's a little bit of a personalization at the top that the entrepreneur has done work and says, Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, Airtable or the other you know intercom and or other things and so having some personalization demonstrating that the entrepreneur did work versus like emailing a blast of 100 vcs and then the second one is you really need to have the elevator pitch together and so if mm-hmm. i get like if i get like an email that has like three pages honestly I, i'm not going to read it like yeah. i'm too busy i've got too many things coming in and so you really need to be able to explain what you're doing within a few sentences. And so don't send me like, yeah, really like, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, Jason, you're super good at that. And it's a focus that you have with your launch, um, accelerated program. And so it's like that. And then additionally, I do think it's important to, uh, you know, have a pitch deck as part of it. Really. Some people are like concerned about maybe like, um, (laughs) I mean, there used to be this notion of like signing an NDA, like that was old school you know, a non-disclosure agreement. I understand that doesn't exist anymore. And like, um, I think it's important to have an elevator pitch and then also attach the deck. Cause I'm going to do one, yeah. two, if I, I'm like, you know what, this is interesting. Then I will look at the deck and then I can make a quick decision on whether to schedule that intro zoom.
0: Yeah. Uh, for me, I just love, uh, when there's a chart and some traction, if you mm-hmm. have traction, uh, right. a weekly, a monthly, a daily, any kind of chart shows that you have some dexterity or traction and understanding of your own numbers. Uh, I love a good product demo. And I do think the short deck is a critically uh, important way to get people on the hook. You could have a deck that has proprietary information. That's 30 or 40 slides that you do on a call right. or in person, but a 10 slide deck that basically visually represents what your website tells us and tells the story to a VC in a very efficient manner manner. It it just shows you are meeting VCs where they are. You you're kind of I also love when people send me a loom. I don't know if you've gotten any of these where the founder actually walks to the deck to you personally. This is like the height of customization. So like, hey, Dave, I know you're in Airtable. We're doing something similar. We're making a word processor. That's 10 times better than the existing word processors. And it's, uh, you know, if you use Microsoft Word or Google Docs, you're going to love this. Let me show you Grammarly. Both. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, like that is so savvy to take the time to do that because people, if you're going to do a 100 outreaches a year to investors or during each fundraising, does it matter if it took one minute per or 10 minutes per? It actually doesn't. And the 10-minute ones are 10 times the effort But probably a hundred times as effective, or more, than generic. So the founders don't realize what's happening on the other side of the inboxes, where people are sending two thousand word short stories about their life, and we're like, "Well, what? Just it's pretty simple. Like, what is who is your customer, and what do you solve for them? What's the product? Who's the customer? How do you make money? Keep it simple, folks. All right, listen.
2: Well, and and I will just say two other additional things is. I think a competitive landscape is super important because we as VCs, we're getting lots and lots of deals. And so you as the entrepreneur, you understand your market understandably. But I used to think like, why would I list the competitors in the pitch deck? But it's actually super important. And typically the best one, I think, as you know, is like, you know, the one with the X and the Y, you're up in the upper right. And it just Mm kind of demonstrates how you're sitting in the market. And so I, I will just say like, That one is important to me because it allows me to quickly understand, okay, who's venture backed in this area? Who are the big players that they're going to take real estate from? So I just mentioned that one also.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Listen, Dave, uh, continued success. You're one of the hardworking, honest, great people in this industry. It's good to know you and work with you on a a couple of deals. And please uh, send our regards to your partner, Jenny, and uh, we'll have her on another episode. She always does founder university for us and she is. Yes. Equally awesome, and so a great firm for founders to consider when they're doing that five hundred to two million dollar check. Yeah, I think that's a sweet spot.
2: we're Where honestly, we've gone a little bit upstream. So basically, we're typically between five. two to you know two to two to four, <laughs> two to four.
0: Okay, <laughs> two to four, <laughs> not one to two three, to, two to four. Two to, He's like, whoa, whoa, on the five. Can I get whoa, you two point five to five? Okay, is that pop- no, okay? Two to. Four. Can we two, go two, to four
2: point 2 2 2, 2, two? two two four four. Two two four. I just have one closing comment, Jason. Oh, here we go. Well, ten years ago. I was I'm, not putting
0: a- on col- I'm not putting on a colored shirt, if that's what you're asking. I'm well, not going to wear that all, shirt. Well, Jason, you know what? I know we, I sent
2: you this. And this is it's black, but you know, it has our new logo. So maybe I'll see wear this. I will, wear, see that. Wear, I will this. wear that no, on an episode, I I, d- I just have, I have one comment, which was 10 years ago, I was hosting a okay. dinner in, at, in Las Vegas. And I remember you standing up unprompted and you had a great hmm. um, comment about uh, what Freestyle does to support founders. And I will oh. return that because I appreciate your your hard work um educating and helping founders and sometimes i say jason why do you have to work so hard and you know what i know you love what you do so i appreciate that
0: it's if you for me it's just like going skiing or having a fine dinner like it's equally enjoyable to me to be here on the podcast as it is to be on the slopes and meeting with a founder i find just as joyful as having dinner with my friends so uh i agree you know it's one of the great things in life and, and it's a privilege let's be honest it is a privilege to be a capital allocator and to You know the worst interpretation is we get to you know uh make the decision on who the winners are and anoint them uh and i you know the the truth is we are lucky enough to place a bet and try to support people who are going to be successful with or without our money yeah Uh, and that's the humility i I know you come to it with and i try to come to with it every day never get high on your own supply just because you got a hundred million dollars to deploy that's not privilege as much as it is um a responsibility you have a responsibility to deploy it intelligently for those lps and for society so you know take that for all these new people who are capital allocators out there yourself included molly like it's heady stuff sometimes and you really need to be thoughtful and collectively as an industry we need to be thoughtful about who we're deploying this capital to and for what reasons so it's it's top of mind for me right now having dealt with some really gnarly situations it's just very strange this you know this world we're in the entitlement sometimes the bad behavior and then you know uh all of that you know kind of fades when you see somebody really hit it and change the world with a great product or service uh, that yeah. creates joy and so it really is like i don't want really to listen to the oscars but I, I i i don't know about you i just feel like a great sense of privilege uh and responsibility really responsibility that i have this job yeah because it's it's it's, it's really important that we get it right i don't know if it, how you feel about it like ultimately, this this. Profession. Well, I,
2: well, I, I guess I mean. So I know you're a family man uh, with yeah. kids, and um, I have five kids, and yeah. I, you know I think we have family responsibility. And then honestly, we're a little bit older, Jason, than many of these yeah. entrepreneurs we're investing in. And so uh, you know I think it's important that we um, help educate them and and help yeah. them succeed, similar to what we do as parents. So yeah. you know I think it's just important to I kind of tie that together.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you you have to navigate, you know, there are things that happen in every startup's life. And once you've seen it happen a hundred times, you're like, by the way, around that turn, that's where you could, you probably want to not speed and you probably want to be wearing your seatbelt and be a defensive driver. You know, it's like, you're giving these, it's like when you give the, uh, Molly, you're going to go through this, right? I don't know if you've given the keys to your son yet, but it's, it's coming, Stop right? it. <laughs>
1: Never. It's coming, <laughs> yes. Molly. You're going to have to hand <laughs> it's the keys. Look at Molly's going to go like this. Molly's going to go like this. <laughs> She's, you're going to be heading those the hell over soon. are the self-driving cars is all I'm saying. Exactly.
2: Well, no, well the, the other benefit is understandably Uber and Lyft where basically mm-hmm. we're, we as parents are able to kind of delay that slightly. Uh, uh-huh. and so, That's what I anyway. said
1: too. I'm like, I can't wait to get you a an Uber account. Like, it's going to be <laughs> <great>. <laughs> Yes. Right, Let's go. Uh,
0: yeah. All right, everybody. Dave Samuel. Dave
1: well Samuel. Congratulations great on time. the race.
0: Thank you. See you next time, brother.
1: Hey, everyone. Producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS Syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to thesyndicate.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S, to apply to raise from the SaaS Syndicate. And you can join Jason's Syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com.
0: Producer Justin here. Know a cool startup? Our next event is on April 27th.
1: And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities, and you can see the full list at slash charity.